It's Wednesday, August 29th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Motley Fool analyst Matt Argersinger and Aaron Bush. Guys, welcome. Hey, Matt. Hello. How you doing? Good. Pretty great. Good, good. Well, we have lots to talk about. We have Amazon giving Roku something to worry about, or potentially something to worry about. We'll talk about that. We have many Mi- things to worry about. Many things. <laughs> we have Microsoft borrowing a page from Apple, making some changes with the Xbox and how you can buy the Xbox. But guys, let's start with well, a bit of a kerfuffle in the exciting world of sporting goods. We have Dick's Sporting Goods and Under Armour. Dick's reported earnings, which I think it's fair to say underwhelmed investors. Shares of Dick's down around 7% at the time of our taping. And Matt, Dick's blaming Under Armour for part of that weakness. Under Armour shares down more than 3% right now. So, what's going on here? Yeah, Matt, you don't really see this very often where a Company, a retailer like Dick's, calls out one of its kind of key suppliers, one of its one of the companies that really fills its channel with the products you know that customers want. And in this case, Dick's is calling out Under Armour and saying, uh, and I'll just I'll just quote CEO Ed Stack. He said, "As expected, sales were impacted by the strategic decisions we made regarding the slow growth, low margin hunt, and electronic businesses, which accounted for nearly half of our comp decline." In addition, we experienced continued significant declines in Under Armour sales as a result of their decision to expand distribution. So, what we know is a few years ago, Under Armour really started expanding beyond the quote premium sports apparel companies like Dick's Sporting Goods and going to companies like Kohl's or other more discount retailers. And in Dick's mind, that says, well, people used to come to Dick's to buy Under Armour specifically, and now they know they can get it cheaper, uh, oftentimes the same. Product or same, you know, same item cheaper at Kohl's, and so why, why spend money at Dick's? Uh, so it's 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 just interesting to see, and and I I think Under Armour is down in sympathy because I think what they're suggesting is, well, not only are you kind of cheapening your own brand by expanding your distribution so well, it actually is not working. I mean, if you look at Under Armour's sales last quarter, revenue in North America was up uh, was up just two percent, and so if Under Armour's expanded out and its reach in all these different channels, it's really not working. And so I think that's the reason why the market's suddenly taking Dick's for its word. Yeah, Under Armour is definitely cheapening its brand, um, and it's it's showing through Dick's and the fact that people are leaving Dick's to buy Under Armour more cheaply at other places. If Under Armour truly had pricing power because of a stronger branding influence, we wouldn't be seeing this at all. And part of that is like operational issues that they've dealt with. Part of it is they just haven't done a good job rebounding from that. Um, the stock actually has roughly doubled or so from its lows back in, I think it was around November. Um, and we are seeing like margins slightly tick up, um, revenue growth slowly tick up, but it's still really bad. And seeing um, these results coming from Dick's kind of prove that the the badness isn't over yet, and they're still waiting through a lot of issues. Okay, so let's let's work through some of that badness. Looking forward at both of these companies, looking you know at Dicks, looking at Under Armour's, it sounds like the low cost genie is out of the bottle a bit with Under Armour, right? If I can get it at Kohl's and stuff. So, what do you do if you're Under Armour going forward here? Well, uh, you know, I, I think you kind of one thing that's working for them is their direct the DTC, the direct uh, to consumer uh, avenues. So the you know the either the uh, Under Armour wholesale retail uh, stores outlets or their online commerce, that's working for them. Internationally, it's working. Growth there is still growing. I think around twenty percent. So the brand has legs. I think it's just a matter of 
hey, you know, in North America specifically, which is our largest market, we've, as Aaron has said, we've sort of just, it doesn't have the allure anymore. I hate to say it, but you know, if I'm going to if I'm going to Kohl's to buy Under Armour, maybe I should just buy Russell Athletic, at, you know, at my local Walmart. I mean, I just and save even more money. I, what am I? What so am you I have getting? a problem with Russell Athletic? <laughs> no, I, I like Russell <laughs> Athletic. I, in fact, I own a lot of Russell Athletic. But I'm just saying, I think in, in consumers' minds, those brands are now a little more equal than they used to be. It's no longer I'm no longer willing to pay premium for Under Armour. That's interesting. I also think Under Armour needs to do a better job of focusing. Um, so in the past, we've seen them; they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on fitness apps, um, which was part of a broader strategy. They expanded into more casual wear, where you could buy like a sweater or something, like an Under Armour sweater that's like 150 bucks. Uh, naturally, that didn't really stick, <laughs> um, and so there were a lot of discounts coming from there. And I know. They've had issues with certain sports and success in other sports, but if they really want to revitalize their brand back to a point where they can have pricing power, they really need to focus in the areas where people respect them the most and where they can have that pricing power. Because the more just random like apparel items they throw out there, of course they're not going to be super successful in um, bringing back pricing power. Um, so. Watching them pick and choose the areas that they want to double down on, I think, will be an important indicator. And one name that we have not said throughout this discussion is Nike. Is it fair to say that Nike does not have this same problem? Because I know Under Armour over the years, they've kind of recoiled at that term athleisure wear. Just the idea that, hey, you know, a lot of people, when they're buying their Under Armour, they're not really working out. They're just kind of putting it on and going to school and kind of doing their thing. Is Nike Nike has a lot more pricing power? I, be, I believe so. I think Nike's done a better job of managing its its brand a little bit lately. I, I mean, although you could go back a year or two ago, and Adidas was really cleaning both Nike and Under Armour's clock, uh, and and it just shows you that apparel is very cyclical. People like what they like when they like it, uh, and Under Armour, for a lot of the reasons Aaron's talked about, it's just not been in vogue like it has been in recent years. Well, guys, let's talk some Amazon. According to a report from The Information, Amazon is planning to launch a free ad-supported video service for the estimated 48 million people using its Fire TV streaming video devices, um, including HDMI dongles made by Amazon or its Alexa-powered Fire Cubes. Now, this Amazon service, if reports are correct, would be very sim- similar to one that Roku recently launched, the Roku channel, um, which airs old movies and reruns. So, shares of Roku down on the news as well. What do we make of this? I think uh, what Amazon is doing is very similar to what Roku is doing. And as I've mentioned in the past, in past episodes, I think the, the strategies versus tactics lens is, uh, is great to use in situations like this. So, what that means is that for Roku, this is the company's entire strategy, or a huge piece of the company's entire strategy. For Amazon, this is just one tactic to a broader strategy. Um, And when you are the company uh, with the strategy going up against a larger company who's just entering your market just as one smaller tactic, I think oftentimes there are reasons to be concerned, because that larger company probably has a larger war chest to put to use, but also they can afford to be irrational in some ways in order they're willing to lose money, for example, in order to make money elsewhere in the business. Um, and so I think a little bit of that is going on here. There aren't a lot of details on what exactly the content is going to be. I could totally see them 
coming up with some slimmed down Prime Video type offering that um, they make free but ad supported. And if you look at, at what Amazon is doing across their entire business,、um, ads are ramping up incredibly fast, like more than doubling year over year. And I think that's going to become a new pillar for the business. And so this is them flexing their muscle. Um, to ramp up ad revenue and to expand, expand into audiences that maybe don't want to pay for all of these video subscriptions. And it's not great for Roku either. So, Matt, how, how nervous should Roku be? I think they should be pretty nervous. I mean, I love the way Aaron framed this because a small tactic for Amazon. Can be an entire company's margin. I mean, we've seen that. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I think Roku right now is struggling to, to remain relevant. I mean, they are relevant to, to millions of people right now, but I think as the hardware goes away and people you know, tend to understand that either their TV or some small device is kind of aggregating all of their content choices. Is Roku still a value add in that situation? If it doesn't have, say, this. This channel, this, this content that Amazon's now competing with them against,、um, is it just a commodity that people take for granted when they buy a new TV? So I worry a lot about Roku, and here's just kind of another you know, solvo from Amazon that kind of eventually might be a nail in a coffin. And guys, I want to、um, close with a story that, that played out earlier in the week, but we haven't talked about it yet on Market Foolery. Microsoft turning the Xbox into a subscription service,、um, sell it much like Apple sells its iPhones. Now, that means you can buy an Xbox、um, like you'd buy an iPhone, paying off the cost over two years. Aaron, good move for Microsoft? I think this is a very underrated move for Microsoft. And so if you unpack、uh, this news a little bit, so this is their all access pass that they announced. And so that means that instead of paying just upfront for a console, you can pay monthly, which makes it easier for some gamers to enter that market. But it also bundles their live service, which lets people play online.、Um, and it includes Game Pass, which is their Netflix like bundle of games that all of these people will then have access to.、Um, and so Um, a month or two back when E3、uh, came out, I, I mentioned on Motley Fool Money, I think, that Microsoft is a dark horse、um, because a lot of the moves that they are making、um, point to the future of gaming better than most any other video game company I've seen.、Um, and so, just a, just a couple points about that I think are interesting. One, I think the future of gaming is almost definitely going to be streaming based.、Um, and that means that Consoles could eventually disappear, and instead, the gaming companies will have to host these games on their own servers and then could stream it to literally any advice that a gamer might want to use. Obviously, that has huge ramifications for Xbox.、Um, but if you think about all the gaming companies, who is better positioned than Microsoft to host using their Azure platform、um, the streaming capabilities? And if you assume that streaming is going to be The future of gaming, and if gaming becomes 100% digital, then that naturally lends itself to subscriptions. And Xbox is getting ahead of the curve by being one of the first out there, but it's also the case where it doesn't make sense for all of these different publishers to have their own subscriptions. People likely won't pay up for that. EA is trying, I'm a little skeptical, but I do think what makes sense is that there will be a few players that can aggregate a lot of the, the different. Content from other publishers and put it together. And to me, it makes sense to be someone like Xbox who has the platform, who has the streaming computing capabilities and can bundle it all together. So I think we're seeing the future of gaming where aggregation 
is going to move the industry and a lot of money can be made for the winner. Yeah, so well put, Aaron. He covered it all. I mean, I, I just think this is such, uh, you know, people right in the, in the near term are going to focus on the cost savings of this. Like, oh, if I do this and I save a little bit of money, I, I'm able to pay over time. But this is really, as Aaron put it, this is a mindset shift for Microsoft. This The world is definitely going console-less. It's definitely going streaming. And by getting people in that subscription mindset today, so that they're used to paying a fee every month to keep playing these games, get on the platform, get used to it, and always want to be a part of it, it gets out of this whole like, well, okay, every two years I, the new console's out, I want to go buy it, or you know, no, no, you're already on the platform, and you just have to decide to keep paying every month, and it's it's much stickier. So we mentioned Apple earlier in the conversation. I'm curious if this plays out, Aaron, like you think it might, with Microsoft being really underrated in this space. What do you think the chances are in the next five years or so that Microsoft overtakes Apple in market cap? Because Apple, Ooh. Apple, you know, won the race to a trillion. But what do you think? Oh man, that's that's tough. I don't know how much I would bet on that. I think, I mean, Apple tipped the trillion dollar mark. I think Microsoft right now is an 800 billion dollar business. So I wouldn't put it past them. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I would take that bet. I think I would maybe more take it than not because I think um, cloud and if Microsoft can invest well in creating the next generation of like Microsoft Office, whether it's acquiring uh, like Slack or just making really interesting moves there, they could have a longer stretch than people think. But Apple's a monster. And Matt, if memory serves, I know in the race to a trillion, weren't you Team Amazon? I was Team Amazon. Okay, okay. So the race to two trillion, or maybe not two (laughs) trillion, but but do you think Microsoft at some point in the next five years or so overtakes Apple? I I don't think so. I I might have said that a little while ago, but the the, the shift that Apple's making to services, I think, is going to Keep them in the game, um, you know, so to speak. And Microsoft's already sort of been in that that world. They, and you know, all you know, all respect to what Microsoft's the shift they've made since the new CEO, just of getting more into cloud-based and services. But it's it could be a little more competition. I, I like I like the question, Matt, because I do think a few years from now we'll look back and say, gosh, you know, Microsoft is either right there or right on their tail. Okay, guys. Well, before we get to my favorite, incredibly arbitrary, ridiculous desert island question, I want to do a little <laughs> shameless plugging here because. You guys are teaming up on a new Motley Fool offering, Global Partners. Tell, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. Matt and I are working with Bill Mann together on this new offering. Um, and so, essentially, what we were thinking is that um, with the number of US companies shrinking and with more really like innovative hubs around the world, there are so many opportunities to invest in amazing businesses around the world. Some of them you can access on. U.S. exchanges, which we are recommending those, and some you can only access on foreign exchanges. And really, for the first time in Motley Fool newsletter history, we're branching out and being able to recommend foreign listings to people. Um, and these are some of the most innovative companies in the world. Um, a lot of them are still small caps, um, and we have 16 uh, initial recommendations, but we will be making more in time. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what we can do with this new service. Okay, so for more information, where do I go? Uh, you can go to join.fool.com. It's join.fool.com. If you go there, you'll kind of read uh, a little bit about what we're thinking, kind of the three pillars that Bill, Aaron, and I uh, are using to pick these 16 stocks. Um, and you'll get a little bit of a, of a taste of the kinds of companies we're looking at. For example, I won't mention the name, but there's a company that we're recommending that uh, you know listeners probably know Grubhub pretty well. Yeah. And Grubhub's had a phenomenal uh, year, several years actually. Um, well, this company uh, has a 50% market share 
uh, it's like a Grubhub of Japan um, in its markets, um, and it's it's a very exciting business. And so, and it's a still a small company. So exa- that's an example of the type of companies we're kind of looking for uh, with this uh, with this new service. Join.fool.com. You got it. Excellent. Okay, guys. Well, let's wrap up with my desert island question. You're on a desert island, and for some reason, you're going to invest in a stock for the next five years, and here's your choice. Your choices are Dick Sporting Goods, Under Armour, Amazon, Roku, or Microsoft. Maybe the boring answer is Amazon, but I have to go with it. I think they still have so many growth levers to pull. And like we, it seems like we talk about every week, or so, they're just tackling someone else's turf. So I don't think they're slowing down anytime soon. Matt, I was joking before the podcast that if Xbox was its own company or its own publicly traded company, I would be all in on Xbox. But it's not. It's part of the behemoth we know as Microsoft. And so I agree with Aaron. I think Amazon. If I had to, if I was on a desert island, I had to pick one. Amazon's still the choice. Well, if you have thoughts on the show, if you have thoughts on the stock you'd pick on your desert island, or if you have questions, marketfoolery at fool.com is our email. That's marketfoolery at fool.com. Aaron and Matt, thanks for joining me. Thank you. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.